I feel like in the U.S., it's it's always like you get paid more, you work more. And then also the mentality is like, if we pay you less, you still work more. <laughs> so it's just always work more. <laughs> so I think we have to put that in perspective too, that, you know, um, to date, we've already in the four years that we've existed, have already invested $450,000 in the Philippine economy. Like I feel so good being Filipino to be able to do that, right? And create yeah. jobs. That's amazing. Want to learn what sets Liveflow apart from the thousands of other QuickBooks online apps? Do you want to learn how Liveflow saves time for hundreds of accountants and bookkeepers? Want to learn how Liveflow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use Liveflow successfully in their firms? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor Liveflow later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Earmark Accounting Podcast. I am your host, as always, Blake Oliver, CPA. I am excited today to be talking to Argel Sibillo, CPA. Offshoring, outsourcing is a very pertinent topic in the accounting profession these days. It's been something that has been only available to large firms in the past, firms that had the ability to set up offices offshore. It takes a lot of resources to do that. Uh, but now there's a lot more options. There are, there are more ways that small firms can work with people outside of the United States. And this came to my attention because over the last couple of years, especially during COVID, as firms moved remote, more and more firms became comfortable with people being not in their office, a physical office and working remotely. And when you go remote, you might as well get rid of those boundaries of country. And so this is really changing the profession. It's possibly a solution to the talent crisis that we have. That's why a lot of firms are moving this direction. So Argel Sibillo, thanks for joining me today. And I'm, I'm eager to talk to you about this uh, exciting trend. Thanks for having me, Blake. I'm excited. Let's get started. All right. So your firm, DTLA CPA, DTLA, that sounds familiar because I was previously living in Los Angeles, so I take it you might be uh, in, in LA. Yes. Tell me about your firm. Give me the backstory on how you got to owning your own small firm. Spent about five and a half years at Deloitte, initially started in audit and then switched over to tax. I've always wanted to do tax. And so when the opportunity you know, arise and I was able to work at Deloitte, like I jumped on it. And so... While I was Deloitte, I was actually running, working with like Fortune 500 companies in, in the United States. And then my team, my staff, they're all in India. So I've been doing offshoring since I graduated college. And then after I left Deloitte, I actually started an app. And around that time, the sharing economy was um, something that was new. And so we were trying to really automate the bookkeeping and taxes for many business businesses of one, your contractors, your self-employed individuals who may have one bank account for their business and personal. So this was also during the time when Tinder just came out. So we had like a swipe feature to uh, categorize your, your personal versus uh, business expenses. And we were mapping it out to a Schedule C. And then, um, you know, QuickBooks came out with their QuickBooks self-employed, basically just killed the competition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's, that's, that's the worst. That's, that's a tough break. Yeah. 
Ultimately, it was actually a lot of learning, good learning. It was a big problem that we were trying to solve. But ultimately, one thing that I really learned from that experience is that, you know, even if you have an app solution, most people, most business owners, like didn't go into business to do the bookkeeping and, and taxes. And so they, as soon as they can afford it, they would hire somebody, they would hire a CPA. Uh, and so that's when I realized that like technology is not ever going to replace the accounting profession. It's going to be a tool that could be used by the accounting profession, but definitely not something that can replace it. Like it can make life easier, but I think the consultative side is still there. So, so basically after that, I pivoted into uh, doing a cloud accounting firm, um, mostly for startups and small businesses, because when I was a founder, I mean, I'm a CPA and I could barely have time to do my books and file my taxes. Like I was very busy with like product market fit, building the product, talking to, you know, customers, fundraising, things like that. And so I thought, why not as an entrepreneur, create a firm that service specifically startups where we're flexible to basically be the complete back office and have high quality del deliverables, but at the same time grow with our clients, right? Because, you know, when you're uh, pre-revenue, you're, you're not going to dish out 500, 600 a month, right? So you basically would, we would ramp up along with them. So part of being an entrepreneur is kind of figuring out, okay, how can you make that work as a firm? And so we are able, for me, was able to build this practice that I have primarily because of everything that I've learned from Deloitte, like the mm. world-class process that they have. Uh, so I took what I learned from there and built my own process. And initially I looked into India because that's where, you know, for the past six, seven years, I've been, you know, working with my team in India and they're very good people. Um, I think for me, the problem was what was the vendor's solution that was available in the market, right? Like Deloitte was like in India 10 years before everybody else was. And they have 10,000 employees there before everybody else was there. And so working for Deloitte, you, you get used to just working with the best people. And so when it came to me finding solutions for myself, for my firm, not having a presence there really like made me question, right, whether or not that was the right decision for me. And also just the uncertainty of having somebody remote access my computer. So there's a trust issue as well. And so that vetting process, it's, it's not there, right? Because I'm not on the ground or I don't have like a, a somebody on the ground to do that. Uh, and then 2019 is we basically, the hiring crunch, the hiring crisis that was happening in the accounting industry was already ramping up even before the pandemic. And so to me, like having a remote practice was like something that I, I didn't want to be confined to the United States. And so around this time as well, I got reconnected with my, my best friend in the Philippines because I, I was born in the Philippines. I grew up there until I was 15 and then my family moved here in California. And so, you know, when I got reconnected with my childhood best friend, he was in the BPO industry. He was in the business process outsourcing industry as a recruiter. And so I'm like, um, I'm not sure what the talent quality is in the Philippines, but let's give it a try. Because at the very least, I can relearn my Tagalog language <laughs> that I haven't been speaking for a while. So, so yeah, that's how it started. Uh -huh. And from there, uh, we basically just, I would say the f last four years to me as a startup entrepreneur, to me, it was um, an incubation period. Like yeah. we did not try to go after clients. We basically just try to figure out our process, our processes, and how do we, you know, apply quality management and qual and 
training and development for um, Filipinos that may have exposure in like accounting and some exposure in like local taxation, but not really like super familiar with like U.S. taxation or gap accounting. So you were you were working with the, the offshore resources, and so that's how you got comfortable with this idea. Now I've heard differing, you know, opinions on like the challenges, the quality of of working with folks offshore in India. Like, did you find the time difference and sending work overnight to be difficult? I mean, is that why you were awake at all hours? Yeah, you have to realize too that most of us who join Deloitte are graduating, like fresh grads, maybe top of our class, but. When it comes to business, we have no idea what we're doing, right? Like you're kind of just kind of sinking or uh, uh, swim or sink kind of uh, mentality. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we had our team in India and they had more experience than, than we did. So even though there were like time differences, because it's true, I would be like, wake up, you know, I'd go to bed and then I'll give the task and then I wake up the next day and the quality is not there. And then like a whole day was wasted, right? But I realized that it was a limitation on my end on being able to apply controls in place and give clear direction so that when I get the work, it's what I expected. In addition to that, I wasn't really embracing working with India or offshoring. It's not something that during the um, recruiting process, they tell you, oh, you're going to be working with, with India your whole career. And so, you know, it, it was basically, I think part of it is like not embracing what the opportunity could be, not really giving a lot of like resources or training or investment in the people that were in India. And I saw that throughout my career at Deloitte, I felt like India was kind of like a behind the scene when, you know, there's so much more capable than that. And so that's kind of how I think about when I think about like offshoring going forward is that how are you really utilizing your team? If you're just making them do a data entry, then of course, QuickBooks is going to figure out how to automate data entry, right? <laughs> so yeah. there has to be a lot of like investment if you are going to go offshore and, and full embracement of, of building a process that is basically a differentiator as a firm, right? For you, because yes, number one reason that people go offshore is to save on costs, but that also means you have three times the capacity, right? You can hire three more people versus one. And in our profession, you know, capacity is everything, right? It's, it's how we get work done. And if you hire somebody in the U.S., pay them $80,000, but give them, you know, 50 clients to manage to justify the $80,000 salary that they have, like that person's going to be overworked. They're going to make mistakes and they're going to deliver poor quality. So what would you say is the number one thing you learned at Deloitte working with the India back office? I would say the number one thing I learned while I was at Deloitte is that relationship. To me, you know, there is a culture at Deloitte, right? And that culture is basically excellence, right? And we're a company of one, regardless where we sit. But in practice, I didn't see that. I felt like the U.S. team received more like resources than, than our team in India. And so one, one of my biggest takeaway was that I told myself when I was at Deloitte that if I ever had an opportunity to create my own firm, I'm going to make sure that like I'm pouring a lot of resources to my offshore team, right? Like where, because I've, I've realized that like the U.S. is the bottleneck. The offshore team can do a lot of work, but then when it comes to review, 
a lot of the bottleneck is on the review process and client communication. So we've set up our firm so that our Philippines team is actually client facing. And that just kind of a game changer because, you know, the U.S. team, the review process is not being held up because we put processes in place so that, you know, the quality is there as well. So your Philippines team, all your offshore mm -hmm. resources are in the Philippines. They're client facing. So when you say that, what does that mean? Does that mean they mm -hmm. are getting on Zoom meetings with clients? They're emailing with clients? Like what's the extent of that relationship? Yes, it's uh, emailing clients. So we, we provide accounting and tax services. So on the accounting side, that's the day-to-day -day communication via email. And then on a monthly basis, a monthly call with the client. And that's also part of what they're doing is I've trained them enough that we're not just doing bookkeeping. We're providing CFO type services where we're giving the KPIs, right, on a report. And so that's kind of the type of client facing we're doing in accounting. On the tax side, it's the document requests, right? Like emailing directly to client. It's basically communicating if there's any follow-ups and then signing of like the um, tax returns and then like collecting the invoice. So they're really like what you would compare um, a senior here um, that are, that's working directly with, with your uh, clients. And so you partnered up with... Um... You have a business partner that helped to build this offshore uh, team. Mm -hmm. They were working at a BPO, so they they learned how to how to do this. And now, so your staff, you actually employ directly, or do you use a BPO, like another company that that helps bring them to you? Like, how does that all how does that all work? Because that to me seems like kind of overwhelming. The idea of you know directly employing people in the Philippines are there special challenges yes. around that? Like, tell me. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm very lucky that I'm from the Philippines, right? And that I got reconnected with my best friend because he's on the ground doing all the hiring and also taking care of payroll and taking care of like, you know, registering the um, uh, the company with the SAC, with the local SAC. So the challenges is really a, a couple of things. One is basically the hiring process, right? Right now, many people in the United States who are hiring in the Philippines are hiring on a freelance basis. The, and, and mostly you'll find them in jobs.ph or you're using a BPO company. So for us, I thought that like it was really important that I build my team the way that I wanted them. And so we were very, from day one, we were very, we knew how to, how to hire people, like the type of people we were looking for. And I feel like that's a little harder with, you know, going with a BPO, for example, because you would just be maybe given, you know, three people to interview. So we wanted to have the really autonomy to go after um, the candidates that we want. And you don't get it right, uh, right away when you're hiring. So there is that period that you want to see if they're developing, right? Um, and then the other thing that's like really hard to, to do to set up a company in the Philippines is really the registration and doing all the payroll and things like that. Because right now, if you're hiring a freelancer, maybe you're doing transfer wise, but you know, hiring a freelancer also means that you're not paying for their um, health insurance, right? Because they're uh, on a freelance basis. I worry a little bit about going that direction. What is the future of outsourcing, especially with like the recession looming? That's something that is 
worrisome to me because, you know, if we look at the last recession in the United States, there were freelancers. Yes, it actually created a lot of people leaving their jobs because they got laid off and then starting their own companies. But for the most part, freelancers are, you know, when there is a recession, they tend to find a stable job. And that's true in uh, other parts of the world as well. And so, especially accountants who are very risk averse. So I do think that uh, right now we have a lot of freelancers out there and it's unregulated in the Philippines. But I definitely can see that if there's a major recession, a lot of them will go back and look for a 95 for stability, mm. uh, especially accountants. And at the same time as well, I don't think in general Filipinos want to be freelancers. They're very attracted to the idea because it pays U.S. dollars. Like who wouldn't do that? But they are giving up a lot of things. And, you know, one of them is like stability. And so what I feel what they're doing is that going into this freelancing route because working for a large BPO, they're basically like turnover at a large BPO is like really high. It's like 80%. <laughs> is the, wow. the turnover. And that's because, you know, it's basically driving revenue as high as possible and like driving your employees down to the ground and driving the talent down to the ground. And that's just not, that's just not a good, that's a toxic work environment that many Filipinos are leaving. So let's rewind, uh, go back to when you left Deloitte. And I want to Sure. To understand, you know, the progress of your firm over the last, I think you've had your firm now for what we're coming up on six years of that Four. four. Okay. Four years. Four years. Mm -hmm. So, so six mm -hmm. years since you left Deloitte, but then you took a break and you were working on this app levy, mm -hmm. which is the one that, uh, similar to QuickBooks self-employed and then into it created QuickBooks self-employed and, and, yeah. and basically, you know, your app was no longer necessary. And so, so then you started your firm and. Mm -hmm. I imagine just you to start, like most of us, right? Is that is that right? You were just you know going out and getting clients and doing accounting work, bookkeeping yeah. work, tax work? Yeah, it started with tax work. So luckily with the app, we were creating the app, but on the back end, we were manually preparing tax returns. So that's how I got my start. Okay. <laughs> is just doing uh, manual tax returns. And then from there, because we were um, mainly working with like self-employed, that was the first market that I was able to tap into. And so we were doing the tax return schedule C, and then, you know, as we progressed, we were just kind of looking at like, how can we scale, right? And so I'm a tax person at heart. Everything that I try to do, the reason why I even jump into accounting and bookkeeping is just because the quality of stuff that I was receiving from, from other bookkeepers. And we thought we could do it much better. I also thought that tax was such an afterthought for many people. And that's why we created the app. The idea is like when you swipe left and right, yes, it's mapping to a Schedule C, but the idea that I was thinking is that someday it could kind of trigger advice, just like how Mint has it, right, with their app. And so I've always been fascinated with like proactive tax planning. And so when we took on the accounting and bookkeeping work, we're basically like layering in tax advice as we go. If we identify something that revolves around, you know, retirement or R&D credit or, you know, um, accountable plan, Things that would basically not only comply with the IRS, but also like, you know, maximize their deductions. That's just been our focus from day one. So when we help our startup companies, it's really what they're getting and what we're hearing from clients is really like, I'm not just looking for somebody who can do the compliance. I'm really looking for somebody who can 
you know, make sure I'm not leaving money under the table. And that's why um, we've been successful. Think about this. If you have approximately 60 clients and create five reports a month for each of them, that's over 3,600 reports a year. And let's say you're really fast and it only takes you a minute per report. That's almost 2.5 days a year you spend creating reports. Here are a few of the ways how LiveFlow saves time for so many accountants and bookkeepers. Once you create the perfect suite of reports for a client, you can just copy the Google Sheet, use LiveFlow to connect it to a different client's QuickBooks Online company, and you're done. The new reports will pull in the data for the second client automatically. You can easily drill down to the details of each number on a LiveFlow report, including drilling down to the transaction level to navigate directly to the transaction inside of QuickBooks Online. No more opening QuickBooks Online to search for a specific transaction. LiveFlow and Google Sheets are in the cloud, so you don't have to waste time emailing files between your team and clients. You can give your clients access to a suite of reports that they can view at any time, eliminating one-off requests for you or your staff. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to earmarkcpe.promo slash LiveFlow. That is earmarkcpe.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Stop manually updating your spreadsheets with LiveFlow. So it was just you to start. How did you go about onboarding your first uh, Filipino employee? Yeah, so the first Filipino employee we onboarded, he was actually way too qualified to actually do prep work. So that was the one interesting learning is that like you're, when you're trying to hire your first hires, you really want to make sure you know exactly what you're hiring for like and what, what the needs are. If it's a prepare that you need, don't hire somebody with like 10 years of experience. They're just at that level where they're not gonna do prep work, right? And so the first hire didn't work out. The second hire, they were kind of um, senior already, but um, wasn't afraid to roll up their sleeves and, and do the work. And so we just built upon that is um, um, hiring our, our second employee. And then after accounting, we hired a tax person and this tax person was also super seasoned. And um, there's a term for them in the Philippines called shifters. And what that basically is, is on the tax side, they are looking for the next employer to get the U.S. taxation experience and then go to another firm and then move up and then get promotion and, and races. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that was really also a learning experience when it comes to retention and hiring the right people. Because um, if you try to hire somebody who's like experienced with U.S. taxation already, especially if they're well-seasoned, they're looking for that next um, promotion, which, you know, it's totally understandable. But if you groom them and then, you know, build them up and you have a clear path to their promotions and their success and ultimately ownership, you know, then that's, that's, um, that's what I would, that's one thing that, that we do now that we learn from previous hires. So you started out, you hired somebody to, well, you hired somebody that didn't work out because they were too senior. And then you found somebody, the second employee was for bookkeeping, accounting, doing those, mm-hmm. I, I imagine doing, you know, closing the books, right? Uh, reconciling the mm-hmm. accounts, all that. And then you hired a tax person. So now you had somebody that could, well, you had two people that could do both sides of the coin for what your firm offered. And I, I think you you mentioned you do basically two things, right? Bookkeeping and tax work. 
Is that right? Or is there more that you guys do? Um, so we do some sort of like special projects and just um, advisory. So we, we do CAS, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we've been doing CAS from, since the beginning. And for and then, our listeners who are not familiar with the term, CAS is client accounting services or client advisory services, depending on who you're talking to. Which one do you like? I, I like client accounting services. Yeah. Because to me, ultimately, it's really the accounting work. We're talking about bookkeeping, APAR, payroll. Okay. Um, and I think advisory is just a separate category altogether. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I, I never liked when they added, AICPA added advisory into that uh, or swapped it out with accounting a while back. And yeah, to me, they're totally different, right? <laughs> the, the accounting and bookkeeping work is what you need to do to get to advisory. Uh, yes. but, but you don't have to do advisory if you're doing bookkeeping and tax. Um, it's a lot easier, mm-hmm. honestly, probably process-wise, right? But um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we, uh, where were we? So we had you had hired two people. Headcount. Yeah, you had two people at that point. How, mm-hmm. And how long did that? I mean, you know, that must have taken a little while to get that up and running and you know figure things out. Like how uh, how long did that take to get to the you know three people situation? It it did take long. I think it was really helpful that I have somebody on the ground mm-hmm. that was doing the hiring. And that was like the biggest help for me was like actually the hiring process. You know, we started, like I said, with one and then quickly we got into three to help on the tax season. My biggest problem around that time with the first tax season with a, a, a team was that uh, how do I keep this person busy throughout the year? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. A problem we have here and, in the US too, right? So yeah, what did you do with, to to solve that? So that's when I really just embraced that. Okay, if it takes three people for me in the Philippines to hire one person in the U.S., that means that's how much savings that I have. And so if I'm gonna have two, right, that's equivalent to hiring, you know, uh, somebody here in the U.S. Like I'm okay just paying them their salary and throughout the year helping figure out process improvement. So we're very heavy on like continuous process improvement and not chargeable time. <laughs> like, I, and I know that's like, you know, if I was at Deloitte, they, they would tell me minimum 80% utilization rate. Right. Like I need to be chargeable 80% of the time. Our chargeable rate is less than 50% by design. And part of that is we are focusing on training, we're focusing on development, we're focusing on improving our process. I just have so much capacity to be able to, to really design what we want as a firm. Versus like the other way around, if I hire somebody in the United States, like they're so inundated with work that there's no time to even archive at the end of the year. And it's just total like catch up every single tax season. So to us, like that's part of the acceptance is that uh, it's a complete shift in mindset where just because you're going to be outsourcing and saving money, it doesn't mean that you keep all that in your pocket. You have to reinvest it back. Only 50% chargeable or utilized or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. A a firm Mm -hmm. that is really obsessed with time-based metrics would not be happy with that. But like you said, it's okay because you're able to hire for half the cost or a third of the cost of a US hire. So Mm -hmm. the the staff in the Philippines don't need to be as, you know, quote unquote productive, whatever that means. Mm Mm-hmm. Correct. And, you know, that also, you also have to make sure that they're, you're continuously giving them something to do, right? Yeah. It's not just, you know, in, if it's training, it's development, if it's shadowing, if it's like training the person under you, 
like those are the kinks we have to work through as we grow. Because we went from like in 2019, we had uh, four employees by the end of the year. By 2020, we had seven. And then by 2021, we had 10. And today we have 15. 15. And 15 mm -hmm. employees in the Philippines. And so let's talk about, you know, managing that workforce in the Philippines. That's a, that's sure. a lot of people. So where is your firm at in, in, in terms of, you know, clients, revenue? I mean, that's, that's pretty rapid growth in terms of headcount. I'd be curious to know the other numbers that you're able to share with me. In terms of our revenue growth, um, let me see. We are, so basically in terms of the mix of our um, services, mm -hmm. we're at like 65% CAS and 20% tax preparation. And then about 15%, that's just like special projects. And that could mean consulting, that could mean implementation, like other specialized projects. The number of clients that we have year after year has like been growing. And primarily, it's really two things. One is I was able to secure the domain dtlacpa.com before downtown LA became DTLA. Yeah, they and so they, so one of my clients uh, used to be the um, what do you call it the the association that like was responsible for all that branding, uh, the business improvement district downtown LA. Oh yeah, Bid, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I did the books for for the the downtown the business improvement district that then you did. That's awesome. But but you got the DTLA CPA before that even rebrand happened. So that was good. exactly exactly. So I got really yeah. lucky because. You know, one thing, if you're familiar with downtown Los Angeles, is that if you look at mega cities out there, all of them have has a downtown. But I think only in LA where, you know, everybody that goes to California and goes to Hollywood flops into downtown. Uh, but we don't really have like a real downtown. <laughs> like we have like Santa Monica, Venice, but like, you know, our downtown is not as impressive as like other major it's, uh, cities around the world. It, it's like another neighborhood, right? It's not, it's, it's not the central place. It's just another place. Yeah, exactly. So that was also like good for business because, you know, there were just so many people starting up their, their, their businesses. So if they're looking for like startup CPA in Los Angeles or, you know, downtown CPA to this day, I'm still like the number one, um, that shows up on an SEO. So I've been very blessed with that. Um, so, so that's and so, interesting because one of the trends we've seen with a lot of cloud firms is that their clients tend to be geographically distributed. But because of the way that your firm is branded as being associated with downtown LA, am I hearing you right that, that most of your clients are in downtown LA? Yeah. So there's some limitation to that, right? Because now you're just branded and locally. Mm -hmm. And so if I mentioned DTLA CPA in New York, they have no idea what that is. And that's where we were um, doing the rebrand to Hey April around these times the past couple of years, because it's like, okay, we need a national brand. Oh, um, okay. And so that's where Hey April came along as kind of like the rebranding that we're going after. Uh, and so part of that is going after like e-commerce and software companies that are like outside of, of Los Angeles. But predominantly, yes, a lot okay. of our clients are still in, in uh, Los Angeles, um, there's just like a really rich ecosystem of startups in in, Cal in LA the past, you know, five years, right? Like, yeah. like with Silicon Beach. And most businesses are still in downtown LA, like the big four are still mm -hmm. in, in downtown LA. So it's still the hub if you're looking for professional services. 
So that's great because you have one firm, but you have two brands that allow you to reach and take advantage of marketing opportunities, depending whether it's local and downtown or if it's e-commerce and you want to serve clients everywhere. The Hey April uh, brand is great. And, you know, April, I guess, is because everyone thinks of taxes in April, right? Is that the idea? Yeah. And the idea is that, you know, April is tax season and Hey is really just kind of being proactive. Mm -hmm. It's like, Hey, April is just right around the corner. We got to get going with, <laughs> with, um, you know, tax planning or like preparing you for, for tax season. Uh, and I've heard you mention before in your podcast, like you're definitely right that like most people do their bookkeeping to get their taxes done. Uh, and so, you know, when we work with startups and small businesses, we have that in mind that like they ca could care less about what the books look like. They care about how much taxes are they paying the IRS. Yeah. And connecting those two things is important, but it doesn't happen a lot of the time. And we might be doing extra work that we don't need to do, charging clients more than they need to pay to get what they need. If, if what they want is a tax return at the end, let's give them what they want and not what they don't want. That's always been my philosophy. Well, it wasn't when I was in practice, but I learned that, right, over time. And it sounds like, well, it, it really started for you with the app because the app that you built was designed to connect the books to the tax and to, exactly. and to make that easy, right? So now you're doing that with your firm. Uh, I so let me go back to the numbers. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. want to make sure that we go over that. So just looking at company-wide and then I'm going to break out just what Philippines is. Okay. And I think that would be helpful for your listeners. Go for it. And so um, I'm going to cover 2019 to 2022, like what our growth rate is um, year over year, and then what like our total is. So right now, lifetime with our firm, we're looking at about 77% gross profit. That's company-wide. That And then net income-wise, we're looking at 20% um, on average, but this year we're at 28%. And that's including paying myself salary, okay. a reasonable salary. Um, so that's like, you're talking when you say 27, 28%, that's your owner's profit at the end of the day. That's correct. Okay. That's the that's the net income of the company yeah. that gets reinvested back. I can talk a little bit more later about the things that we're doing in terms of profit sharing with our um, employee and other benefits that we're providing. But let me just give you the numbers um, right now. So when it comes to separating out our Philippines team and just looking at revenue, so I mentioned earlier, I have some special projects. Part of that is like the consulting. So I broke it out where it's just accounting and just tax, right? And our team uh, servicing those type of channels. So we're looking at 72% margin. On tax. So um, I'm sorry, that's, I'm sorry, not tax. That's um, Philippines, both tax and accounting. Okay. So when you say margin, you're saying... 72% margin, so like 28% of your revenue goes to the salaries of the people in the Philippines. and That's correct. Mm -hmm. Got it. And that's directly working, like clients working or staff working on client work. If I layer in our support services, and that would be kind of, um, we have an office manager that basically triage all the emails, work on the invoice. I believe your last guest uh, in your podcast talked about having a COO. Mm -hmm. Like that office manager is like so key for us because it really just allows us to focus on the work, right? And and at the same time, we're also hiring um, uh, employees that just do cleanup and catch up to really like separate that work uh, completely. 
But those are what I call support services. Um, what I also call support services is someone who's managing the payroll and our uh, internal invoices and um, IT support, things like that. So when I layer in our support services, we're looking at about 65% margin. Okay, so 65%, so 30, 35% cost of labor on the Philippines uh, work. Correct. Okay, Correct. gotcha. And how yeah. much of the work is being done like, do you have any U.S. employees or is it all Philippines? It's all Philippines. All Philippines. And what do you do day to day? Yeah. Um, podcast. No, <laughs> well, that, that's the dream, right? That's that's, what, <laughs> that's the dream. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I, I still spend a lot of time with the team. Um, you know, I do a lot of one-on-ones. Quarterly, I do one-on-ones that are not performance management. It's really like mentoring. The other thing that I do a lot is um, I get involved a lot in tax on the final sign-off because ultimately I'm still signing off on the returns. So there's still uh, you know, a review process on my end and also like just process improvement, right? So one of my job that I failed to do when I was at Deloitte is really like give review comments, mm-hmm. right? Because of that time delay, you're like, I could do it myself. And so you're yeah. not really like developing your team. And so pushing back those review comments takes a lot of time. But then I just feel so, it feels so good when you see them not make the same mistakes, right? Mm. Because they, because you, you know, show them how to do it. And so that, and then as well as um, on the accounting side, you know, there's still some times when the client would email and I'm CC'd in all the emails. So some of those things get really technical because working with like startups, you know, they just think, you know, everything. Um, So they were expecting, you know, some financial projections that's not even in scope. So a lot of it is like scoping projects and trying to yep. like, you know, um, upsell those projects, um, making sure that we don't have scope creep, right? So I'm like, uh, just like a true startup entrepreneur. It's mm-hmm. like a leaking bucket and just like covering uh, all the holes as the water pour out. <laughs> Bu- building the plane while you're in flight or, you know, <laughs> yes, building exactly. the boat while you're at sea. Yes, I think- <laughs> Anyone who's listening who has built a, a startup or built a business knows just how crazy it can be. And I've always said, if you're going to start a business, just embrace the chaos. You just have to be okay with stuff getting missed. And you, you do your best, right? We create processes that can hopefully catch the big stuff. But, you know, you can't be perfect. It's not possible. Yeah, I feel like embracing the chaos, I mean, is the, you know, the, when we're disrupting companies... That's chaos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, you have to, if you're creating chaos, you have to embrace it for yourself too, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the numbers, we keep uh, mm-hmm. digressing, but I'm going to bring us back. So let's talk about, um, we talked about headcount, 15 headcount. Uh, you talked about the mm-hmm. margins. Uh, anything else you want to share about the firm that might be of interest? Yeah, sure. So I broke it down by like tax versus cast, and we have pretty good balance in terms of revenue. So they're somewhere around that 73% gross profit. But I thought an interesting number is like average revenue per staff, right? Mm, so yeah, yeah. That would be great. Average revenue for staff for us is like 32,000. The average cost per staff is about 12,000. Gotcha. Yeah, that's and that's but that makes sense because you were saying your cost is well, your cost is far lower than it is here in the US. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, you know, I definitely want to be mindful of, of um, other CPA firms out there who feel like, you know, paying somebody a salary 
of like twelve thousand, you know, a year is so low. Yes, it is very low, but I think that's where, if you look at my team, we have quality of life. Right. Like our average client for our team is six, like six client per staff. Six, yeah, as opposed to thirty, forty, fifty, which you might have yes. to juggle in another firm. I would say fifteen is what where everybody's is at. Like, and and if if you're really trying to just churn out and just get work done north of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel like in the US, it's it's always like you get paid more, you work more. And then also the mentality is like, you know, if we pay you less, you still work more. <laughs> so it's just always work more. <laughs> so I think we have to put that in perspective too, that, you know, um, to date, we've already in the four years that we've existed or have already invested $450,000 in the Philippine economy. Like I feel so good being Filipino to be able to do that, right? And create ah, jobs. That's amazing. And I also want to say that like, again, like you create the firm you want to create, right? That, you know, people first, just because you're offshoring, it doesn't have to feel like, you know, you're doing something wrong. Like you could totally mm -hmm. use those capacity to hire more, to build process, to really be a differentiator. Like we have profit sharing in our company. Mm. We also have at the end of the year, take a portion of our salary of our profit and then donate it to charity. We are a, um, a public benefit corporation. So I'm not sure you're very familiar with that term. Uh, yeah. Like a B, is that like a B corporation? Yeah. It's very similar to B Corp. A B Corp is like a certification, right? Like you have to apply and prove that you're not just profit driven, that you also care about the environment and the people in your community. What a PBC is, specifically a Delaware Public Benefit Corporation, is basically a setup where on your articles of incorporation and your charter, it states what your public benefit is, what is your mission. And by doing so, you know, if you're not profit driven, if the company ever sold or if you ever have change in board, the focus of the VCs, the board is always going to be about what's written on the charter. And if, and if that says it's not, we're not purely for profit, like we're, we're making sure that like, you know, talent and development, uh, training and development, and also just the path to like financial freedom to like development, not just the community around you, but also uh, economic uh, development. Those are like our initiatives for the Philippines. So how do you package and price your services? Does your team track time? Do you build time? Do you price fixed? Do you do value pricing? So we 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 charge fixed. So right now, probably out there, you can get a monthly cast for like between five hundred to seven fifty, maybe even pushing it to like a thousand to twelve fifty if they're a little larger. Um, and what and then does on that the tax when you say monthly cast? What does that include? Oh, that's the monthly bookkeeping. So if you wanted to do something like, um, you know, APAR that you want to attach to that or payroll, that also would just be billed separately. So that's yeah. just on the, the bookkeeping side is the um, that monthly that I mentioned. And when you say 500 to 750, are you talking market rate or is that like what you're aiming to charge? That to me is like the market rate. Okay. And that's where everybody's at. And the sensitivity on the um, startup founders that would maybe a little bit more comfortable paying with 500 a month. Um, but if they're like just starting out maybe in the, you know, 300 a month or 250 a month, um, we'd like to just, you know, work with our clients with, um, you know, doing the tax returns at the end of the year and advisory throughout the year um, as a separate service. 
And then um, if they want us to do their books, then we take it on. But uh, it's very flexible on what they, what type of services they want. And then we're very flexible to just let, I mean, we let them know that we can do everything, but just give us whatever you feel comfortable with right now. Do you get any objections in the sales process to the idea of using uh, staff, you know, having staff work on these books in, in the Philippines? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've, so you asked earlier what I do on the daytime. I'm, I'm actually the salesperson. Like, so yep. I do the discovery call and I do the closing. And I've played around with how to approach it. And um, ultimately, what I realized is that, like, if I'm calling Verizon Wireless or QuickBooks, they're not leading with, oh, my team is in the Philippines, right? Like, no one's ever leading with that. You lead with value. You say, this is your problem and this is what we can do. And then if the conversation comes up, like, how is your team set up? Then we we let them know. And it's not a problem because we led with value. So one so because of that, like the price objection is like much lower and also how we're set up uh, objection is much lower, right? Because um, they don't care where we're set up, but they just want the stuff done. So what tools do you use uh, to overcome the distance and the time difference? Like, actually, let me start with that. Do you, does your team work US hours or do they work uh, local hours? So we, they work local hours because... Um, I've tried it before different ways and, you know, working their hours is the best because they're, you know, fully optimized to work. And if you're working graveyard, you know, you're not going to be as productive and you're going to make more mistakes. So we work U.S. hours and for us to be able to communicate, it's really like every day we're on Slack. And on our Slack channels, we have, you know, every client has its own Slack channel. And the way that we're set up, and I think you asked this earlier with all that employees and how we manage them, we have, um, with that 15 people, we have one manager, and then we have four seniors, and then we have staff. And so every single time there's quality before going out, there's a preparer, there's a reviewer, and then ultimately there's a manager uh, on, the, on, um, on the ground with the day-to-day. And are your clients in Slack as well, or is that just for internal use? That's for internal. We've had, um, we have maybe one or two who's on Slack. I wouldn't recommend it because, you know, they just think they can ping you anytime, (laughs) which is like similar to like emailing you and saying, I have a quick question. And then it's not a quick question. So it's mostly internal. And in terms of project management, we use monday.com. And so if you look at our monday.com task board, task board, we have like rows and rows of like um, statuses and who's in charge of this and budgets and things like that. And is monday.com the way that you ensure that the review gets done on those books before they go out the door? No, monday.com is how I ensure that no project is being left behind, that we have completeness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That, um, you know, because part of the offering that we have is like, we will renew your business, um, your, your statement of information. If you have Delaware, we're going to help renew that. And so constantly throughout the year, we're giving our clients heads up. And it's like, hey, this is due. Do you want to do it or do you want us to do it? Right. And so we have to have calendars. We have to have like deadlines and review process. So it's very, it's for, we're really using it as a project management tool. When it comes to the review process, what we use is like work papers and you know, mm-hmm. prepares, put together the work paper, you have a reviewer, 
We have file names, uh, naming convention on the files, uh, so that there's always a review process. That's the one of the things that that I took from Deloitte is that every tax return that you prepared, there's a work paper, and then there's also a tax return support. And those are the three things that you would archive at the end of the year because you don't know if you ever get audited. At least you have the support, and so you have to um, make sure that everything ticks and ties. Which what I you know, learned from audit is that our work paper is like very clean. It's like uh -huh. audit quality. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things that I didn't learn until I went to a big firm was the importance of work papers and the benefit of rolling those forward and having them for every period. I feel like that is one of the good reasons to start, at least do a couple of years in audit, is to get that experience because it's so valuable to have that backup. Yes. And a lot of firms don't do work papers. They You ask them what work papers are, smaller firms, and they might say like, what are you talking about? But if you don't have those, how do you support what you've done for the client when it comes to an audit, if there is one? And how do you review? Yeah. Well, right? they, don't, how, they, don't, how do you... they don't have review, I think. True, true review, <laughs> no. right? Yeah. No true review. Um, I think what I've seen is that the review process is like redoing what the tax preparer would have done. Right. Right. Whereas a review process is like have your tax preparer prepare the work paper have him do the tick and tie so that when you look at it, you're just looking at a tick and tie number, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it, it, like the formulas. And at the same time, you also just want to do flux, flux analysis, right? Just reviewing the work that are like maybe new this month or mm -hmm. things that were, did not exist last year. That's where the reviewer need to like focus their, their uh, review. Any other tools that you want to call out as helpful? Uh, I would say Zoom and uh, we're using Vimeo right now. So one thing that we've um, found some success is really recording internal meetings because, you know, a lot of, you know, there could be like lost in translation there. So it's good to be able to just like go back to like recorded videos and we have our office manager also do um, transcript, mm. transcribing of those calls or minutes. That's been very helpful because it's, it's, you realize that when you get the minutes and you read it, it's like, oh, that's not what I meant. <laughs> uh, and so it clarifies things. Yeah, especially so with that, language differences, right? I mean, small small phrases can have big differences in terms of meaning. Yes, so. exactly. And I also, I'm also like a kind of big idea guy being the founder and visionary. And so to really come down from thinking about the company as a whole to like the nitty gritty of a tax return, Right. That's really hard to do like that. You have to shift your mindset. And so there could be like a lot of loss of translation there where I'm like going a thousand miles per hour and they're like, what are you talking about? But it's like just agreeing. Right. <laughs> and so it's better yeah. to see, see it on paper. So Monday.com, that's not a tool that is specific to the accounting profession. Did you look at practice management systems for accounting specifically? Or did you just always have Monday.com? Yeah, I've always had Monday.com. I think just coming from my start startup background, like that was basically, I wanted something nice to look at <laughs> every day. And that's something that I dread <laughs> whenever I log in. So yeah, so I think part of it is really the design and just the ease, how easy it is to just like drag and drop. And, you know, they even have a feature where, you know, if your staff, um, updates the status and you get an email, you can just re reply on that email and it would update on the, yeah. on the task board. And so it just really makes it, and we're always on, I'm always a mobile. Like I really work 
everywhere on my mobile. That's how I get work done. Does every client get bookkeeping or do you do tax mm. only work? So the past four years is really just figuring out who our ideal clients are. So we started with like tax prep for individual and then we move up to like tax prep for businesses. And then we realized that we have to take on like bookkeeping. And then from there, we realized we have to take on APAR and payroll. And then so most of our clients now are, we do the full solution for them. Now there are still clients from the past that we do just one-off bookkeeping. Uh, we have a huge opportunity in front of us. Um, I, I think we can double our revenue with the advisory um, that we've never really charged for. We've always layered it in our bookkeeping. It was until recently that I learned that you can actually price out your, your advisory and, and do it in a way where you're leading with value because that's what uh, clients are looking for now. They're not looking for a tax preparer. They're looking for you know a, a business partner, a business advisor. So earlier in the conversation, we talked about the mistake you made or the lesson you learned when you hired somebody who was too experienced. Do you have any other lessons that you've learned from doing this for the last few years uh, from offshoring that you wanted to share? Um, definitely what I learned for the past few years is really to have patience and embracing fully the offshore process, right? So you know, leaving Deloitte, like I knew what I needed to do, but like just really getting into the nitty gritty of it. And yeah. uh, it's not, it's the growing pains of, of having a firm. And so a lot of that learning is really, I would say it was self-inflicted for me because I'm a startup founder and I'm always thinking big. And so, you know, what would take a company maybe two or three years to shift? Like we shift in like next tax season, right? We're going to take on this work. So a lot of it really is like, okay, taking on different kind of work. I feel like the past four years, it's always, we were just in V1, right? Like if you look at, think of it from a startup standpoint, mm -hmm. like we're on beta, we're figuring out who our ideal customer, we're going to look at our features and, and see how we're going to, um, let's add these features and this and that, rather than like really approaching it like, okay, this is what the client wants. And so I think that's where the learning is, is really just, kind of navigating through that, through the, our ideal client. And then on the hiring side and on the employee side, we definitely learn a lot about retention and, and how to build culture that would last, right? Like that poaching is so bad right now in the Philippines. Like I've had a couple of employees who were poached from our team and they have their varied, various reasons on why they left, but you know, ultimately it's the higher pay, right? Because somebody out there would pay you twice as much, even if you knew the work was going to be three times as much. Mm. They're just have circumstances that, you know, it's out of their control. Like they have to um, earn uh, more. And so, and that's by choice for them. So it wasn't a good fit for us. So we're really, you know, where we dialed everything in is really on the messaging on what type of firm we're building. And 100% of our employees you know, join us because they want to um, leave a legacy, right? Like they're really thinking beyond just doing the bookkeeping and tax work. And so that that has also uh, been very helpful. The fact that I'm Filipino and that like I understand the culture and I can bridge the culture with the U.S. culture. Um, that has been kind of like what makes it like, I would, I would say a competitive advantage for us. Yeah. So you are at 15 headcount in the Philippines, yourself in the U.S. 
great margins on that. I think it was what, 27, 28% net profit. So you've got Mm -hmm. cash coming in to reinvest in the business. What are your mm-hmm. goals for the future? Like, what are the, what, what, where are you going to be in the next four years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say it, it's scary to think about it because the, I would say the past four years, if that was an incubation period and we're ready to like take off now, I think that, you know, we could really be successful. Um, what we're actually uh, doing now. So, you know, I was at AICPA in June. And from there, I was really thinking, okay, what's the next step? Should I go into um, acquisition? Because that seems to be like, it's, I think it's very easy to do an acquisition nowadays, especially with a profitable company. When you said AICPA, do you mean the uh, Engage Conference? The Engage Conference, okay. yes. Yeah, the, in June in Las Vegas. So newsflash, it's still like staffing is the number one issue. Right. Yes, um, of course. <laughs> well, and then also, I mean, there's a lot of partners now, like the average Typical CPA, I think, is you know nearing retirement age, and they've got firms that they need to offload. Right, they need to retire. Is that what you're looking at, like acquiring, or are you talking about other firms? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the scary part, right? Like 75 percent of CPAs are retiring in the next 15 years. Uh, how do we replace that? But yeah, I think a lot of the um, acquisition. So I looked into it and to see if acquisition is like something that I want to do. I definitely wanted something that is matching with our culture, matching with our process, right? And so a lot of the ones for sale out there are people who are like nearing retirement and they're the main, uh, everybody goes to them, right? And so uh, the company's not scalable, the firm's not scalable because once you lose the owner, there's a high turnover that usually happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... You know, while while I was at Engage, I was talking to so many people about their their uh, acquisition experience, and so there's like pros and cons and things like that. And then I've also talked talked to like other founders, uh, other CPA firm owners, and they were just telling me how hard it is to hire. So I'm like, hmm, I'm kind of facing this this crossroad. I continue to grow and and do acquisition. Or I can actually try to help the accounting firm, you know, help them with how I build my firm, help them with like, how do you hire? How do you build culture and retention? And how do you grow your firm and upgrade it into like a global firm that can do outsourcing? And so that's where we, I pivoted and what is now Hey April is basically that, uh, what we're a public benefit corporation and what we do is really an ethical way of outsourcing. And what that means is basically we've started our first cohort where we have 10 accounting firm partners. And the idea is that let's take this first cohort as a pilot program to see if we can bring in staff in your team, right? Like many of these firms that we partner with are either uh, have never done outsourcing offshoring before or have done it with like India and just like things just fell flat in its face. Like it didn't work out. And so the challenge is how can um, I come in and help them with their process and their setup and how can we build teams for them in the Philippines, right? Uh, where you're not looking at just like hiring freelancer, but really having like an outsourcing partner no. that would deliver on like the staff Right. Um, and make it easier so you don't have to do all the incorporation and things like that. Well, that's great. If our listeners want to learn more about that, where can they go? So right now, um, you can go at uh, heyapril.io. 
and um, reach out from us from there. Uh, again, like I mentioned, this is like very new. So the the Hey April Inc. Delaware company was only incorporated, you know, uh, last month. Wow. Right. So that that is separate from like my DTLA CPA professional accountancy corporation. So with this standalone company um, being it being a public benefit corporation, this is basically the ramp up to like providing this as a separate service. So mm -hmm. meaning that DTLA CPA is its first customer, basically. Right. Um, yeah. Got it. So mm -hmm. you are the, you've built the processes, you figured out how to do it. And so now that's a model that you can apply to other firms to help them. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, there are so many BPOs out there already. Right. Um, but I think the true differentiator for us is really that ability to attract and retain talent. Yeah. Right. Because the retention is the problem. Like it's easy to hire somebody. Um, in the Philippines, you can Google something and, and find an outsourcing firm that would help you, right? And granted, there's also a huge labor shortage in the Philippines when it comes to talent, especially tax, right? And so what we do is we actually do the training ourselves. Like we train them with U.S. taxation. We train them what U.S. gap and doing the bookkeeping the right way looks like. And so we invest a lot in those training and development. And also invest a lot on those feedback loop from like the cost from like other accounting firms on why things aren't like working. Cause I would say majority of it is the accounting firm who doesn't know, who has a lot of like knowledge gap on how to manage an offshore team. Well, Arjil, thanks so much for sharing your insights, your experience in offshoring with our listeners and me. I learned a lot today. So uh, I have been speaking with Arjil Sibillo, founder and CEO of DTLA CPA and the founder and CEO of Hey April. Uh, thanks so much for spending time with me on the show and I hope to talk with you again soon. Thanks for having me, Blake. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new. And if you did, wouldn't it be nice to get some CPE credit for it? Well, I've got great news. My new app, Earmark CPE, offers free NASPA-approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit EarmarkCPE.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's EarmarkCPE.com.